Welcome to season two of Open Deeply, devoted to exploring the relationships society pushes into the shadows. Kinky love, non-monogamous love, neurodiverse love, and more. Jack Cornfield says to open deeply requires tremendous courage, a warrior spirit, and unconventional love takes just that. So, join us. Together, we have the courage to open deeply. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Lurie. Welcome to Open Deeply. I'm Kate Lurie, and my co-host is sex educator, Sunny Megatron. Season two is all about love that society pushes into the shadows. And today we are excited to interview two adult performers in love. When I asked other porn performers who they felt was a model for an amazing love relationship within the industry, Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir were always the reply. Jet Setting Jasmine is a licensed clinical therapist with a strong emphasis on intimacy, post-injury, and post-illness. She is co-owner with partner King Noir of the award-winning Royal Fetish Films and has over 20 years of experience as an adult entertainer, educator, and master fetish trainer. King Noir is an accomplished writer, artist, MC, and global activist using the proceeds of his album, Music is My Weapon, to build a school, freshwater well, and medical clinic in Guinea-Bissau, West Africa. We're really excited for this interview, but before we get started, I need to remind you that Open Deeply Podcast is not therapy nor a replacement for therapy. If you catch yourself becoming overwhelmed emotionally by this episode's content, please get support. Call or text a friend, therapist, or call the Nationwide Crisis Line 988. All right, I wanted to start out this interview with a quote that was at the end of one of King Noir's rap videos called Jericho. And it says the following, we are all born with unique strengths and purpose. In order to truly be free, we must use that strength strategically to tear down the walls of oppression. And I think that that's an important quote leading into this interview that's all about love, because I think that that quote is about love, that when you break down oppression in all the different ways that you can with your own unique gifts, that that is a type of, of love. And so that's where I wanted to start. And I think even our first question kind of dovetails with that. So why don't you start us off? Okay. Hi. I'm so excited to talk to you both. All right. So Jasmine, you refer to yourself as a goddess and you refer to King Noir as king. So reverence is a form of love. And talk to us about why that's important to you both. You know, it's interesting. I have actually taken on the titles that other people have bestowed upon me since I've been an adult entertainer, a dominatrix. The I like to ask people that are that I have provided the service as a dominatrix to, you know, what feels comfortable to them. There are I have my boundaries around that. Some of the honorifics that they may want to offer are not within those within that scope. Goddess is one of them. Queen is one of them. And some things just stick. So the people have spoken spoken and I agree with them, you know, and as far as calling King King, that is 
the name that he would like to be called. And as long as he lives up to that title, I'm more than happy to call you that. Um, and for me, I get to see him in his in his role as a king in many different facets from the work that he does. The I don't think that a king has to be perfect, but I think that he should have high ideals and standards. And I see that in his work. I see him work towards that. I also see from a personal level, the way that he leads our family, the way that he leads our friend groups, and also the way that he stands in a position of leadership towards our people and our people meaning the many different communities that we intersect with. And so I think while he may not be uh, ordained king by those communities, I think that the leadership qualities that one would expect from a king that you want to preside over are the things that King brings. So it is not a problem for me to call him that name because he lives up to it daily. And also King was what people called me and I called them. Like in my neighborhood, we'd be like, yo, peace King, what's up? Peace brother, peace God. Like that's how we talk. So that's why I started using that name performance wise, mm-hmm. because one, it was always like uh, for the adult entertainment aspect of things, who can treat a queen like a queen better than a king, you know? So that's how it initially came about through sexual mm-hmm. noir and all that. But I do think it's important to be able to live up to that. And then also being able to honor your queen and a goddess as a goddess. Mm. Yeah. Words matter, don't they? They set a tone. Well, I never trust anybody who says, don't worry about semantics. Ooh, having, yes. If you're having a conversation and you're trying to communicate who you are, what you are, how you feel, what you're trying to do. Those words are very important. And it's important to try and master language as much as you can to be able to communicate those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When the love that you share is a, at its very best, what is it like between the two of you? I know that's a personal question. Yeah. <laughs> And if there's a memory that comes to mind as an example, would you feel comfortable sharing that? A time where you were just like, wow, we are at our very best when it comes to love. Both in the macro and the micro are the moments I notice it the most. Like, obviously, we all have like our mundane things that just have to be done in life. But that's the times when you realize like, oh, shit, like that was a really thoughtful thing that you did to make my mundane easy breezy today. You know what I'm saying? And then also when you're in those huge moments, like on stage together or performing or having a conversation like this, where you're like, wow, you are so at the pinnacle of all this shit. Those are the moments I'm like, I am so in love with this woman. I appreciate her love for me. And we're doing like one business thing, a family thing, planning a movement planning, helping somebody else, somebody else is coming into the fold and we're discussing all of these things at one time somehow. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, our communication is like, we get each other's body language, we get each other's verbal, we get each other's, yo, she probably thinking this right now because I know how her brain works and she like 10 steps ahead. So what is my thought on that 10th step so we can have that conversation that like those are the moments where i'm like oh this is really what like being in sync with another human being is and i am so in love and appreciative of that love 
when I think of a particular time, the times that I completely agree with you on those moments, those mundane and those, the small things are, I wake up earlier than King and usually start my work day a little bit, about an hour or two before he's like up and moving. And usually I have my own really sad breakfast and then he has his, (laughs) and then he wakes up and he makes an amazing breakfast, which usually becomes like my lunch or brunch. And some mornings I don't get a chance to eat breakfast. Like I'm just, I'm going, going, going really fast. And then he'll come in with like, I don't know, it could be just like a plate of eggs or something. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to take care of myself, you know? And then but it, he reminds me through caring for me, like, hey, you didn't, you didn't do what you're supposed to do to take care of yourself. And I, I know I could have like such an awful day if I didn't, you know, eat or, and it's, it's those things all the time. It's like the 10 steps ahead. But I think sometimes you're thinking like 10 steps ahead, like mm, she had a rough night. She's, you know, and he's even sometimes ahead of me caring for myself, which is really beautiful because it is hard to, especially like as a mom, as a business person, a person that my work is to care for other people, it can be sometimes really difficult to prioritize yourself. That is not only just a like, I'm so thankful for it, but it's also a reminder of, it's almost like it reminds me that I have to, it's kind of like holding me accountable. Like it's that moment that I'm just like, not only did you take care of me, but you also reminded me to care for myself. And I think that is a love that, um, sometimes people feel like love is all about doing something for, but sometimes it's helping someone do for themselves. And I think that that is a beautiful part of our partnership that we also hold each other accountable in gentle ways to like being our best self. And then another example that I have is it was when we were closing our business down. We used to own a gym here in Florida and we had made a decision. Our family was growing, like a lot of things were going on and we were just going to let go of the brick and mortar and our schedule. It just happened that we needed to, we needed to make a change really fast. And the way that we did it, it was like, there's no way that we could have handled that stressful situation if there wasn't love between us, that was like a make or break. Like, I think like any other couple would have been like, you know what, let's close the business and the relationship. (laughs) But we were just like, okay, we're doing this. Okay. We're doing this in the next 24 hours. Okay. Boom. You're over there. You're over there. And, and it just moved so seamlessly. Our communication was so beautiful. And I always reflect back to that time when we have a challenging situation in front of us. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, if we could do that with the little notice and little resources that we had at the time, Imagine what we can do with, you know, what we have now and how well we communicate with each other now. Those are some moments. Yeah, that's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. Y'all are warm in my heart. I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, let's talk about your work, specifically being two adult performers that are in love. And that's, you know, I know has its blessings, has its challenges. So tell me about the ways that doing porn together has enhanced your love for each other or changed it in whatever way? I just have to say, and I'm going to preface the whole thing with saying I'm a hoe. I have always been a hoe. I love sex. I enjoy it. I look at it as art and all these things. And Jasmine is the first person that I've ever been with who truly 
allowed me to do that and not feel ashamed or guilty or like, but when is this over? <laughs> like, when are you not going to feel this way? And I, and I feel like I was actually having a conversation with somebody recently, just they were saying, like, do you ever think that there's going to be a time when the overall consciousness of people looks at porn as art? I don't know if we'll see that in our lifetimes, but I do hope that the overall collective consciousness of humanity can at least look at sex as art. Mm -hmm. It's something that we can all be creative and involved in, and it doesn't matter who or what. There is a way for you to engage in something sexual and beautiful with another consenting adult. You know what I'm saying? And Jasmine's really like, well, how can we commodify your wholeness? You know what I'm saying? Like, how can we make this, how can we make this money and grow and enjoy the art of it and enjoy the pleasure of it together and make it a business? That's another one of the moments that we was just talking about. Like, and I'm like, I, I, I love this one. <laughs> it's like, just because you love me for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot of times with relationships, I think people are trying to, especially for sex workers, people are always trying to get us out of it, trying to save us in their mind, <laughs> not in real life. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's always that shit. And when you have that shit, that means you don't love me for the totality of who I am. Mm-hmm. And Love me for that. It sounds like you feel really seen by each other. Mm -hmm. I see you, you know, like that deep knowing and connection. Yeah. You know, it sounds like it's just like such a mind, heart, body connection that the two of you have, that you share. And I know that you said that you're non-monogamous, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that the challenges haven't really been within us. It's sort of been like, you know, how do we need to help other people maybe understand this? Or how do we sort of help destigmatize this in general? So that way, you know, whatever the benefits that there are of being in a relationship just in general, how can we still have those benefits? Like, you know, can, will our friends still be our friends or invite us over and things of that sort, knowing that we are in the industry? Will people take our relationship serious enough because of the the ideas that folks can't be in the adult industry and have a thriving relationship. So it's been some like defying some of the external stuff. The benefits have been awesome because we don't have to like, like, oh, you want to, you want to do that? Okay, go do that. Like you, and you're going to make money off of it too. Like, cool. Like, how can I help? Like, do you need a flyer to do it? Like, what do you need? And we don't have to have a certain type of discussion every single time we want to explore something new sexually. The industry already does that. It allows you to sort of move and explore sex in a way that is much more accessible than just being in the world as a civilian, so to speak. And then now both of us being, I understand your work. I understand when you go and shoot and you try that new thing, like there's a certain level of it being somewhat clinical, like it's work. And and then we get to kind of process it from like, well, what would that maybe be like personally um, for you? So it just gives us a lot of room to experience things professionally that does have an impact on how we experience it personally, but we don't have to go through all of that hang up. Like we're not breaking up every time we're doing something new at work. <laughs> I think one of the challenges for me though, honestly, was the shame that people had thrown on me before 
you know what I'm saying, in previous relationships or whatever, I was always thinking like, well, when the other shoe gonna drop? You know what I'm saying? So like in, in that sense, I think it was it was challenging for me because it's like, oh, when you're so used to people always being like, oh, well, what's this and what's that? And, da, 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 and I'm waiting for her to ask. And she's asking way better questions. <laughs> and I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't be focused on this question that people ask that was a bad question. I should be better at answering and responding and sharing how I'm feeling about the questions that Jasmine is asking. And I think that that's that's one of those things that for me was like, oh, no, nah, no, nah. she not thinking that she not those other people. So you have to work with that. You know what I'm saying? You can't build this other shit up. That is sort of interesting, too, because some aspects of our work I have completely normalized. And I think a little early on or like midway through, you would kind of be like, would do you have any thoughts about that? Do you have? And I'm like, no, it's like you filed their papers. Right. OK, good. Like, <laughs> I think part of it was like maybe. Are you upset? When are you going to be upset? Is it coming? Did you not like this? Like, I don't like some stuff. I'm just like, oh, like that piece of work is like, oh, that was nice. And some of it, I'm just like, not my thing. And then everything else in the middle is just like you went to work, you made money, you feel good about yourself. OK, <laughs> like, am I still going to see Beyonce? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm just hearing a lot of people, you know, a lot of different thought leaders, et cetera, saying, you know, the way our culture has viewed love is kind of screwed. Like if you read Bell Hook's book, All About Love, you know, there's like all these thought leaders that are breaking things down. And I've heard one person describe love as, you know, like a modern love can actually be just two people that are helping each other be their best self. And it sounds like that's what you're describing. And then also, I'd say that a lot of clients that I have, but also friends, their love language would be something like carefree, fun, freedom, and adventure. And I hear that with the two of you. Mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. to maybe switch gears and ask, in the episode all about King on your podcast, Royal Fetish Radio, King, you speak on how in adult films, you almost never see a man going down on a woman from her point of view. And it sounds like you're noticing that women identified viewers aren't being considered at times. Or maybe I'm just reading into that. It made me wonder what both of your thoughts are regarding gender as it pertains to love, respect, and sex. It's funny you said that because actually just yesterday, a performer that I worked with posted a POV of me eating her pussy and said this line I was like if you don't eat it like you're making love to it like king noir then don't do it and i was like oh this is like nicest compliment i got yesterday yep. <laughs> but it was like for so long the male gaze has completely controlled the industry that we're in but not just the industry of the sex industry but also you know like the love industry as mm-hmm. well like how love is portrayed in mainstream media how love is taught to us in the schools, mm-hmm. who writes the books that we read and the relationships that are in those in those books. So I do think love, I heard it explained and I'm, I can't remember the person who said that said this, so excuse me, but they were saying that masculinity and like maleness per se has been completely described as the opposite of femininity and femininity is described as the complete opposite of male or masculine. So when you have like these super, super rigid ideas 
of what you can and what you're allowed to be based on your assigned gender or what people tell you your gender is supposed to reflect. Mm-hmm. You can have these super basic ass ideas of how you can love. Because when you step outside of that narrow path, you're now losing your whole fucking identity because you're loving in a way like, man, you're supposed to love, but never show any emotion. And that shit is literally killing men. (laughs) It's it's one of the ways that you get the most stress is by not expressing yourself. And then people go crazy and do whatever. Yeah, they take out their anger and their love in, in abusive ways because they can't just say, I love you, or can't smile when somebody gives you a gift or whatever kind of bullshit men are suppressing their love or not admitting that you love not a woman or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Whatever ways that men completely cut off love, friendship love. You can't tell your brother, your fam, your friend, you know, I care about you, man. Or now everybody's questioning your gender. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so narrow and so rigid that that's not love. Love is something that is completely limitless, boundless, and free. Once you try to cage it up and lock it up, you're you're changing it into something else, Mm -hmm. what they tell you it can be. And that's not your love. Your love is completely different than my love. We all express it in unique ways, but you can't lock it up. There's so many different things, especially about love and sex. And the two, that is a social construct in itself, that the two have to exist in the same way. You know what I mean? That, you know, if you're having sex with someone, then you must love them or want to love them. And I think that has had, a huge impact on like why I will do this and not this or that like we've sort of like parsed out what's acceptable for particular relationships and so I think you see that reflected in adult entertainment I also see that it's taken us a while to see even like romantic relationships between same-sex couples or performers even not even couples so like whether you see them as being romantic or having dialogue with each other. So even the, the extreme, our extremes, meaning same sex relationships, and then the other extreme, and I'm not saying one is good or be- not nothing, just the extremes that are either homosexual or heterosexual sex, you see that there are already challenges in how those are portrayed. And then every beautiful thing in the middle, even starting to see those be categorized and, and presented in a particular way. It's really difficult to find any type of art where where trans women or trans men are represented in a particular, in the way that they live, like with relationships and words and, you know, and not something scandalous all the time. And so it's like, I have this ounce of hope that like, oh, we have moved the pendulum um, in terms of seeing erotica for people uh, that are are in same-sex relationships, maybe we will also move the pendulum as it relates to folks that identify outside of the binaries, outside of heterosexual sex. So we're challenging those the best ways that we can. We know how important it is to be seen, how important it is to have this representation in adult work specifically, because this is what people mimic in their interpersonal relationships outside of, you know, once they turn off the screen, they are looking and seeking to have those types of relationships with people in their world. So it is incredibly important. And if it's something as 
seemingly small as just getting behind the woman or the other performer and putting the camera down this way when they're doing a particular act. I really think that we can challenge that one little scene in every single genre that we just talked about and like kind of open open up the possibilities for people to get ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that it like the reason that you don't see it in a lot of mainstream scenes is that the woman's pleasure is not the focus at all. And I've said this for a while is what it is. Like, I think that there are a lot of men who have sex with women that don't like women. And it's not like they like someone else. It's just there are a lot of men who have a lot of resentment for women, for whatever those reasons are. And then there are also those men are in positions of power. So you see how things are reflected in the level of violence, both on and off screen or, or verbally spoken through music or whatever, wherever the case being. So like, then why would you then focus on someone you don't like's pleasure when the shit is, it's literally like masturbation with another human, you know what I mean? And, but then also at the same time, the way it's shot, they cut off the man's head in a lot of these things because they want the viewer to put himself in that mm. position. Mm -hmm. So then that's why you'll have the POV. You're not going to take, you're like, women don't watch porn. Why would I put her head on that man? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's, where, that's where it comes from. And there's, and there's so many men, like, we've been in the game for a minute. So I, I've seen things slowly change in mainstream consciousness and, and just within the industry, but like small changes. But most people still have this thing like women don't watch. Women don't. No, that's man, a woman that what like they still have that reaction. I'm like, are you fucking serious? We're just making it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that speaks to a larger problem that, and I think a lot of men have this issue, and that's why men who complain about the progress women have made over however long they claim women have or have not made progress is because men don't fully recognize the totality of a woman's being. So until we can do that and be like, yo, like, for example, people are like, I don't call women a bitch no more now that I have a daughter. What? <laughs> that shit don't make no fucking sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, you should already have respect to not use that word. but the larger world at hand, ranging from societies, ranging from cultures, is about keeping women oppressed. So in order to do so, you have to remove a certain humanity from, from a person in order to oppress them, right? We see that in the disparities in the work, in pay, in fucking porn. I want to challenge your listeners to, when they're watching regular, not adult film, to see how oral sex is captured in regular film. So usually mm -hmm. if, if a male partner is going down on a woman, it's giggly and she has this very like boy reaction and it's almost comical. Like what's he doing down there? And then if it's the reverse, it's slutty. It's she's like ravenous or she is a nasty woman. <laughs> right. It's never those two acts. They're really not met with the same sort of, the way missionary sex is now portrayed. Shit, for a long time, going down on a woman was just portrayed as gross. Yeah. Like, <laughs> across the board. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I don't know, it's it's so funny just watching how things have progressed in the mainstream culture as well, where it's like oral sex and men 
having to be good at it even is part of a conversation. Right. Or should be good at it as part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's so many things that porn teaches us, you know, all the messages that we're absorbing that we don't realize, or maybe we do realize we're absorbing. So I'm thinking of the film Filthy As It Gets, where the two of you cuck Dylan Diaz, who's being punished for like bad behavior. So in that scenario, and I'm thinking of the things that like people can, you know, absorb and take away from this bigger picture stuff, besides the hotness, because all the hotness is right there. In order to be in that situation requires someone who's in a relationship to have really good boundaries. And so much of love is about setting boundaries. So talk to us about the importance of teaching someone to respect you, to love you, et cetera, through being a good boundary setter yourself. (laughs) When you have boundaries to share, that means you know yourself. Even if you know yourself in that moment and you're still working in other areas, I don't think we're ever at this like I know everything that there is. So I learn new things about myself too every day. And every day I'm making tweaks to those those boundaries. And I think when you know yourself the best, then you can actually prescribe how you like to be loved. Mm-hmm. So I think that is sort of like my takeaway. It's like how... I'm very good with my boundaries if I have taken the time to decide how I feel about something, what um, what my capacity is for this, how am I going to respond if this goes too far this way or this too far that way. And that takes time alone, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I'm not saying I have to go on like a three month retreat. It's really like three seconds, do a, a scan of how do you feel about this? And if mm-hmm. I can communicate how I feel about that in, in the form of this is how I would like to be treated, this is how I'd like to handle the situation, this makes me feel good about this, that means I've been clear with my partner and I can have those boundaries respected, then my love does grow with respect. That's how I see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you set your boundaries and you share them with somebody and they respect them, you know, we could try anything. We can grow together because I know this person respects the places that I'm like, that ain't for me, or don't touch me there, or whatever other kind of boundaries you might have, whether it's jokes or conversations or what you share or don't share with with the outside world or or even with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, so if that person respects it, you're like, oh. You know, we all come into a relationship from whatever point we are in our journey. Some of us might not be as far down the path. Some of us might not be walking on the same path, but it's just like, you know, now, okay, I could travel in this direction with you because you respected these boundaries I have, or I can expand the width of my path because this person respects where it's at now. When we were talking earlier and we were uh, the words like limitless and love and free um, were coming through, I'm for all of that, but I not know. And I think that we can experience all that with boundaries, right? So people share a lot of times like, oh, but like y'all are just so free and, you know, you just like, and we are within our personal boundaries. They're not rigid. You can have a permeable boundary, like our cells literally are that. They are permeable boundaries. I believe in that, like, oh, okay, 
I can be flexible. We can talk about it. We can see, can they expand a little further? I can even be free within my lane, you know? And so I think sometimes there's a misconception of like um, having, like to be so in love and to be so free or this person knows me so well. This person knows me so well because they know where I start and stop in certain areas, you know, or they're even willing to catch me before I go past my own boundaries. And I think sometimes like sometimes Katie and I will be sitting there and we'll just like put our hand on like you going too far. Like you're going to be mad at me. Stop <laughs> later, you know, and we'll say to each other, like, thanks for catching me because you you already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and both of us have our different limits in similar things. Like if it was like, I don't know, drinking or something like that, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But it's, it might be something that we both partake, but it's also like, you know, this is where I'm going to stop at, Mm -hmm. but I got you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, Mm -hmm. uh, if you do go past where you normally do, I know, (laughs) I know where that paved road become a dirt road. I got you. (laughs) Okay, now that everybody thinks I'm a bad drunk, based on okay. I, no, 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 based on all the action, I am <laughs> to drink maximum, or I become a liability to King, and that's just not free and fun because <laughs> I love him. I respect my boundaries. <laughs> no, I, I think um, the perceptions that people have on freedom sometimes is. Also, like, to use the word again, like, it's very binary. You know what I'm saying? Like, people think of freedom as either, like, there are no laws. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not particularly freedom. You know, like, freedom also comes with responsibility. Like, the responsibility I have to other people means that my freedom should not impede on theirs. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to tell you what to do or not to do because you're also not doing those things that would impede on mine, just as... vice versa so i think that when we are able to advocate for ourselves and let somebody know that's how we're all able to be free within our own space Mm -hmm. yeah that's beautiful yeah so i wanted to ask you well at first i wanted to just say in my psychotherapy private practice a huge part of my clientele are porn performers and the ones that come into my world either as clients or as friends they tend to be incredibly loving and warm and kind Many volunteer for many social justice causes and actively try to make the world better, despite the fact that our culture can be very unkind to porn performers. How do you feel you are shaping culture? And does it feel like an act of love to you? I think it is completely. When we started Royal Fetish Films, we were doing parties. We were doing bachelorette birthday, divorce parties, couples parties, like all these things. And our clientele is primarily black and brown folk. And that's like 10 years ago. And people would be like, yo, why is porn so bad? Like, why, (laughs) why don't I see anyone that looks like me? Or if I do, why don't they kiss? Mm. Or why is the lighting so bad? Why isn't it beautiful? How come I become like, Black people are the fetish instead of doing fetish things. And that's what led us to start Royal Fetish Films. And since then, from complete strangers to people I grew up with have hit me up and been like, yo, that's beautiful. I love what y'all are doing. Even some people that might be like, I might not watch it because I know you in a different kind of light or way, (laughs) which means they watched it already. It's 
yo, what y'all are doing culturally, like there's people in our films that wear head wraps. We wear head wraps around the way or natural hair or waist beads or burning incense or playing our music. You know, like all these different things that just let our people know, like it's okay to enjoy pleasure. Mm -hmm. America shaped black and brown bodies pleasure. It, it was removed from our sex. Our sex was to be profited upon and not in the way that is fun or consensual, but we were bred here for work. So our sex has been reflective of that. And also that not Christianity of Jesus, but the Christianity of the slave master that was put on us that also was to keep us in line and to have sex in a specific way to make sure that we made more us for America to sell and profit off. And that's passed down from generation to generation of how we look at pleasure, how we allow ourselves to have pleasure. And when I say sex, I'm not just talking about penetration. Kissing. People asked us about kissing. Why don't I get to see Black people kiss? You know, so those kind of things are so important to be reflective because we know everybody watches porn. So to be able to watch porn and see somebody who looks like you smiling while having sex and not just being there as a caricature or a stereotype, someone being beautiful and a goddess or being beautiful and having a job, whatever, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like performing, it's something they, they enjoy doing and being beautiful at was to me, it's something that I look at as I'm very proud of the contribution that we make. Mm -hmm. Because if it can lead somebody to love themselves and love their partners and, and just find pleasure in life, that's a high calling right there. I concur with all of those. And that feels like a real macro way that we're making that change. Mm hmm intentional and strategic like you had in, in Jericho for me to kind of narrow that down a little bit smaller to like what type of change and is it an act of love for me I choose to share everything about my life real openly our family my career as a therapist my place and space within my larger family just pretty open about just my existence and I find that, that that's an act of my own self-love, right? That I can do all of these things that I, I like, oh, I want to be a therapist. Okay, I'm going to go do that. Oh, I want to I want to go to every, every kid. I want a, a college degree. Okay, <laughs> go do that. There's so many respectability politics that Black women specifically have to come up from under. It's like you're going to either be a church girl, a working girl, or a working girl, right? And with those comes a certain level of respect and a certain trajectory of what your life can look like and, and will look like that we are pretty much given in, in these very limited roles that we can take on. And I love to defy those. I like to be all three, actually, at one time, most of the time, and sometimes more of one than the other. So I find that in loving myself and in my totality and showing up however I want to show up and making the mistakes that I'm allowed to make with my life as well as enjoying my life in all the different ways within within the law that we about within the boundaries, right? That I get to model to so many other people that are interested in seeing this model of the many things that you could do. And I always tell people like you don't have to go take off all your clothes to, you know, actualize your actualize yourself or to resist 
the the way that our body has been commodified. Like there's so many other things that you can do in terms of your personal protest. I just choose to do mine very openly and publicly so that way people can see these exact stigmas and and the many ways that we've been discriminated against. You, you can find your own way. Like for me, oh, you don't want me to practice in your at your government agency because I'm too sexy? Okay, well, this is how you open up your private practice. And here's a whole community of people that would love to give you their money because they see that you're actually living the life that you design. That's literally what they come to design, a treatment plan, right, Kate? Like they come to do a treatment plan to put goals in place to work towards that thing. And they're like, Oh, you you're doing that. Cool. Then maybe you can help me. Maybe you can. <laughs> you you have children and you can be in a loving relationship with someone, even though you already had children. Like we are told that after we reach a certain age and have children and are not married, that we're disposable in this community. And here we started off this conversation saying that I'm a goddess and a queen to a king. Right. So that defies that. You can't be in the adult entertainment industry. You would be throwing away your life. Like, no, my life has become so much more valuable to me since I have started to own myself in in these many different ways. And then finally, it's like this world is going to commodify you, capitalize you, put a stamp on you, use you and abuse you. So let me do all of that shit first before anybody else does. I'm going to commodify myself. I'm going to participate in capitalism the way that I see fit. And I'll be doing the abusing of the people who are consenting to my abusing. (laughs) I do find that we are changing culture by just existing in our own Mm self-love. Ugh. I got to say, when I first discovered y'all, it was like somewhere in the mid-teens. And then I saw you perform at the Sex Down South conference. And I was just like, you are all like what I didn't even know I needed and what I didn't even realize that I wasn't seeing until I saw it. And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, King, I know like you do a lot through your work volunteer settings, you know, at the London School of Economics, et cetera, to decolonize art and education. So I would like to know, like, one, how your focus on social justice issues feeds into how you go about creating adult entertainment, but also what is it culturally that blocks us all from being more loving and open and respectful of adult performers how can we learn to love you better? Recognize that we're people also. It's hard for people to do sometimes because they only see us in that moment where you, you're trying to get something done, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I think in like those kind of moments or, or we're part of a fantasy. So sometimes seeing people outside of a fantasy then can mess with their fantasy. So I think... Being able to recognize the totality of humanity in adult performers, whether it's cam models, strippers, porn performers, whoever, because then it'll also make it like, oh, the person that I'm actually with, I can actually view them in an extremely fantastical and sexual way. Also, we're all fucking human. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like when you start trying to reduce people to things outside of their humanity, then You don't treat them very good. There's never an instance where people reduce someone's humanity and treat them any better. Mm -hmm. For me, it's 
it's funny, like the whole framing of the word, like social justice and all this stuff now has become like one of those like battleground words. Yeah. I was just raised by my mother was in the Peace Corps and a health rights advocate, marched with Dr. King, you know what I'm saying? Like my mother raised me like if no matter what it is that you do, I don't care if you a stockbroker, a rapper, anything, a teacher, you have to do it for your people because we are not treated as equal in this society. I feel like over the last little while, there's been like this, I don't know, we we live in a social media age, so things have to happen on social media, but people are removing a part from your life, which is like, we're just trying to make the world equal <laughs> for all people. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody within, like just within sex work, I think we all come in it from different places. So Jasmine always says like, we're a marginalized community within a marginalized community, like run it down the line. Right. But within sex work, there's a very specific treatment towards black sex workers mm-hmm. because that's not just the larger society's feel of being involved in sex work, but it's also the hierarchy of whiteness within sex work that then people get paid less, not treated well, not giving the same opportunities and things like that. So from the way I was raised, it's like, nah, you don't stand for that shit. Like if you was working at Merrill Lynch, you would definitely say something there too. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you say it in in the when you're in porn? You know, you shouldn't be ashamed. That's your that's your work. That's your art. That's your how you're expressing yourself. But you ain't got to stand for no racist shit. <laughs> like, and I think that it's just like a natural part of who I am. And I don't want to live in a world where anybody is treated as less for whatever reason. How can they love us better? Mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> If I, if I share it with you, then it's for you. If I don't, I don't. And I think like, because it kind of makes me think about the people who are so overly concerned with like what we're doing. And it's more telling about you, not y'all, obviously, about you than it is about us. Oh, like, like the, I'm going to save you um, Twitter DMs. <laughs> you get those? Yeah. Like, how are your children going to like, what talk is like, not fine. Like there's, there are, there's, no, why are we talking about them? <laughs> you know, um, unless we're talking about them. So it's kind of like, you know, if people are inviting you to a conversation or we are inviting you to be concerned about this a particular issue or challenge that we're experiencing, you can pretty much assume we're having the same fucked up day that you're having here in America, right? Or or not. But just like this idea of you know what's better best for us. Or you have some secret into our issues, maybe the idea that all sex workers have um, have had some type of trauma or some type of this or that. And it's like the, the propensity is damn near the same in any industry just because we are, because our culture has these type of atrocities that happen to people day in and day out, you know? So I don't know, I guess from the mind, your business part, it, it, it's like the assumptions that you may be making about sex workers and sharing them with them with for whatever reason about their religion, about all of these things. It's like way more of a reflection of how you feel about your relationship to those things than it does have anything to do with me. Whenever I get something uh, from people who are like overly religious mm-hmm. sending me something and it's like, I'm a believer, but it's also like, I don't just be hitting up random people. 
So it's like you you are coming at me when there is literally this church, this Boy Scouts, this, 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 like, yo, there are organizations that are out there that you might want to worry about first than just me. Like, that shit is wild. And I'm not doing the shit that them motherfuckers are doing. So... Define me? <laughs> like, you need to go talk to your pastoral leadership. Like, <laughs> you are not in a position, if you think, if you think this way about porn, but you somehow have my email address, <laughs> like... Yeah, like... You did some research. You did some research. And, and it better not have been on the um, chapel's computer. Oh, see, it's more a reflection of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So one thing that I've noticed just by listening to your podcast and listening to the two of you speak is just this through line talking about art. I'm an art therapist, so I have a lot of respect for the fact that both Jasmine's a psychotherapist and that both of you are so focused on art. I'm wondering how you feel that you blend psychological health, art, and adult films, you know, how they can blend together to form a more connected, loving world. Ooh, that's a good one. I want to talk about less about being a performer and more about the consumer. So let's help, give me a moment to sort of frame that. And then you probably talk about being a performer in the art. Maybe you will. I was going to say with you. You were, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So... I find, so I use this, I do a talk called porn in practice, and it really is how you can use porn in therapeutic practice. And so just to be clear, we don't watch porn in therapy. That is not even on saying porn in practice is sort of like, how can you help someone explore, be a good consumer of, of pornography? And when I say good, meaning that it yields good results for them, right? And so I do find Porn is entertainment, and I think that entertainment is art. I really do think being able to see the creative process behind the scenes, I believe that people do intend to create something that looks good, feels good, evokes a a specific type of emotion, hell, evokes a specific type of behavior out of the person that's watching it. And I believe that is um, within the definition of art. So helping people explore sex-based art, whether it is um, helping them find music that speaks to sexual arousal or positive feelings around sex, erotica, paintings, photographs, all the way to actual pornography or even live shows for that matter and, and sex entertainment, even crafting role plays with an actual sex worker, whether that is virtual cam or where it's legal in person. I think that, that allows for an amazing expression of art, creativity. It helps to build confidence in those areas. And I think for those of us that are in a therapy or any type of medical, where we're providing medical support, we're missing this piece of art. And I think people's, where people want to how do I say people's greatest quality of life is in our interpersonal relationships. It's like, if you ask someone that maybe has had a life-threatening disease or a near miss with their life, like what, what were they, what were you the most worried about? What kind of fears came up? It's rare that you say, Oh, I was scared that I was going to die and not pay my bills. Like 
fucking no one said that shit. It's like I was so scared I was never gonna see my kids again or that my love that I wouldn't I didn't have a chance to tell my my loved ones X, Y, and Z, or I'm afraid to be alone or to be away from it's about our interpersonal relationships. To me, when we're like prescribing and we're looking for ways to support and motivate people, we are missing the art that's out there that literally speaks to these interpersonal inter and these interactions and the areas of our brain that like light up when we're aroused. So that's how I see the use of porn and the artistic aspect in the well-being of other people. Mm-hmm. How about you? Besides what I said. When... <laughs> <laughs> I think Jasmine just said the right word, like Art pulls a response, it pulls a feeling, it pulls an emotion out of you. Because of just the way things are that people are afraid to express themselves sexually. Like so, so many people are closeted. And I just and I don't just mean in the orientation of who they want to have sex with, but the manners they want to engage in sex, the fetishes that they have, the, the kinky ways they want to live. People are so afraid to share that. And I'm talking about just sharing it in an appropriate space, not in an inappropriate space, right? People are still afraid with the the person they're with. We work with a lot of couples where we're having conversations and they're trying to find the place to be able to open up about the kinky shit they want to do. With fetish training and and how we find ways, like not everyone is going to see the same sexual act in the same way, the same way you look at a painting and you're not going to see it the same way. How can we both agree that this is art? You know what I'm saying? How can we both agree that this sexual act is is something that's beautiful? And how do we both engage with it? So like, let's just say, for example, I don't like to be tied up or or bound by my wrist or my ankle, but I do love rope. I've always loved watching people tie and shibari is beautiful to me and all of these things. So like I've been around it, like I flogged people while they were tied up and all this other shit. But I'm like, yo, I want to try. I want to feel how that is for me. So how can how can I engage in this in a way that is comfortable for me, respects my boundaries, but I'm still going to feel this freedom of experiencing something new. So there are a lot of other people who hit me up after I we put out a scene of gods and goddesses where Jasmine captures me and I'm suspended. And I'm like, I'm, I love acrobatic and all kinds of physical shit. So I'm like in the shit upside down talking shit and spinning around and all of this. Cause it's like, I'm not in a subspace. I'm still in like control of myself, but I'm, I'm, I'm captured by a goddess. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it was freeing for me in that way. And I know for other people who are like, yo, I don't like being restrained in that way either. But now seeing you do that, I might be able to be suspended because just because you're suspended doesn't mean someone got to talk down to you or someone has to do, unless you like that shit, you know what I'm saying? But I think people look at every sexual act from like this one way because they don't view it artistically and how they fit into it. If we both look at a Romare Bearden collage, you might see something first in this corner and I see something on the other side, right? So now we are going to look at the rest of the painting and and we're both going to see it completely fucking different. Mm -hmm. So it's like the same kind of thing with sex. Like you might not do it this way. You might try it this way. Or you might like to just be a voyeur. Or 
you might not want to fuck with it completely. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You might be like, it ain't for me. But once you're like, there's only, I do it that exact way or I don't fuck with it completely. You live out all the beauty of it. That's that's in between. And that's like, that's the painting right there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell me, what are the acts of self-love that you have that are absolutely the most powerful to you? It's the patient. <laughs> right now i don't want to give you all a canned we can each say one or we can just you yeah, can I'll... say whatever you want you're driving the car uh, <laughs> exercise for me right now in this moment it is food <laughs> <laughs> i'm having this experience which is very different than any other time in my life and i think it's coming from a lot of decolonizing stuff you know, it's sort of like the relationship with my body, the relationship with pleasure in a lot of different ways. And like eating right now, like feels good. Like, mm, I want that. And I don't want to think about like all of those other things that used to be attached to food. And I think right now it's also super important because I'm nursing two kids and I've never done that before. For me, self-love is like experiencing, experiencing my body. I think when I, because every time we talk about this, I usually hit it from a sex standpoint, which is like, I just want to be able to explore sex. Okay. So like I did that, that's in the bag, like that we're going to keep that one. But what's a new one is like experiencing the different things that my body can do without any hangups attached to it, mm. you know, eating or caring for my kids without the, like, cause we put this on to your kids, like you see what you did in my body. I'm doing this for you, you know, but <laughs> fair to them, right? Next for that. <laughs> so I really am sort of like playing and exploring what it's like to be like, I'm this is where I'm at right now. And in order to care for my kids the way that I want them to, I would like to e- experience this food and what it's doing for my body right now. And then that's it. That's the full stop. Mm-hmm. I felt that way with sex too. I had to get a place where it's just like, no, no, no. You could just like have the sex and then you don't have to talk to God and explain it like they were there or not. Like <laughs> it's good. They presented the opportunity for you. So therefore it is sanctioned by God. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. it. So that's one. Two, creativity. I think we have a, like I have a notebook full of things that we're going to do in the next 10 years. <laughs> we and. I self-love feels like to me is like writing them up and exploring them and not like putting like that. Well, that's not going to, that's not going to be possible. Or we probably won't be able to do that if, or I got to get it done. It's just like, no, like have fun, like write it all down. Sometimes the, just the idea of doing something and thinking of how it could potentially manifest and what it's going to look like and what it's going to smell like is like crafting something mm-hmm. like art to me, not art. Planning. It's a lot of fun. I guess the way that people might build little models and things like that. I like to like craft like big, big ideas that may or may not come to fruition, but feel really good to just like allow myself to do that without the constraints of like, you should be thinking about, I don't know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Whatever the thing is. It's funny that you bring that up. For me, I'm a pretty spiritual person, so I believe in synchronicity. And so when something like repeats in my life in some weird, unexpected way, I pay attention to that. And about a year ago, I was listening to a neuroscientist 
talk about a topic for CEUs for my profession. And then I was also listening to a book that was by a, you know, a spiritual leader. And within 24 hours, they said the same thing. And they said the importance of thinking about your ideal future and that by dreaming about your ideal future, it causes shifts in the brain, like neural circuitry shifts in the brain and shifts in the body that allow your body and brain to be prepared for that ideal future. And if you don't dream on your ideal future, that when it happens, your body and brain will not be prepared for it. Ooh, I did too. I'm ready. Ready. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. So along those lines of, you know, things that are a little bit on the spiritual side, do you have any spiritual, religious, or philosophical beliefs that shape the way you love in all its forms? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the philosopher. Oh, the man. A life is unimportant except in the impact it has on other lives. I don't know if Jackie Robinson is considered a philosopher, but that shit philosophy to me. <laughs> and I have tried to live my life by that. I don't know. So it's so random that that's like the first quote that have popped in my head, but I think it's because just the, the time of year this is right now, it's got me just thinking about lessons for my grandmother. And my grandmother told me about Jackie Robinson. My grandmother used to take my mother to go see Jackie Robinson when he would come play in Philly. So I don't know, for me, it's like part of the family. And she always talked about how much he sacrificed just to play a game. Mm-hmm. And I think about the profession that we're in and (laughs) some people, it's like one of those kind of things, how like when people look at a professional athlete, like you're getting paid just to play a kid's game. You know what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. when you perform, they're like, you're just getting paid to do something everybody does. Well, there's a reason they watch us though. You know what I'm saying? And there's a reason you're not in the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it's like one of those things. and And I guess that's why. I connected so much just philosophically because it goes back to what I said earlier, just because I'm in this amazingly pleasurable profession, it doesn't mean that I still don't have a responsibility to the people that watch, to the people from back around the way, like all those, I still have those responsibilities and those responsibilities are to live a good life, just as Jasmine said, and a a life that is in opposition to oppression. But also to lead by example that you can love yourself, you can be a proud black man, a father, and do all these other things with your life into however many years you hit. I think that there's like the religion and the faith that I was raised in and that that I grew up with is so imprinted in my DNA because it wasn't like just from a book. It was from watching my elders and my ancestors live those lives of protest and like revolution in the sense of like revolution because you love your people and you love yourself, not revolution because you hate anybody else. It guides me to be the man that I am. And the man that I am is the one who shows up for work and all the other places. So it's just like recognizing like just because you're doing this doesn't mean you can't bring spirituality into it. I think everybody that I work with, I honor them. You know what I'm saying? I I treat them like a human being in the way that I would want to be honored. You know what I'm saying? So I bring that spirituality to to my work. 
I want people to be able to recognize God in their orgasms. You know, that's viewers and consumers and people that are working with us. God does not have to be removed from your pleasure or whatever, whatever you believe in as a higher being, whether it's the collective consciousness or a deity or our ancestors, however you view it, it's not separated because sex and love is what keeps humanity going. It's what keeps us here. It's what ensures the next, you know what I'm saying? And your pleasure and your loving that should be a good thing. You should be happy to engage in somebody else's pleasure. I love that. I am the least studied here around religion and (laughs) philosophy. (laughs) I am taking both the Bible, the Quran, all all the good books and all the leaders. (laughs) uh, For me, I have a very much, I know I think you have a very eclectic belief system as as well around spirituality and and religion. I like to see, like you, I welcome it in our work. I think I've shared with King and I have since been sharing it with everyone to sort of like do their own personal study. When you watch porn, there's a lot of calling for God in a good way. There is a lot. I was post at doing a, what do you call it, a path on an edit. And I was just like, this particular talent that you with, I don't know, either my ears were perked up to it or she, this, this was her church. And she was just like, oh my God, oh my God, thank you, God. Oh my, I was just like, oh, oh my God, like, pass the, the collection, please. <laughs> and then it made, then I was like, how often? And, you know, and then even sort of reflecting how I feel that in my highest moments of pleasure, I am using that exact same language and feeling this like very spiritual connection to something other than this, you know, the world and and where I'm at and then how that looks for other people. So I really welcome the idea of sex and spirituality in the same space and, and would love for people to explore that even more. Because I do think that because religion and our faith has been so tied to control that we haven't explored the ways that it has been tied to pleasure. I mean, there is good good things about methods of, of control. If you know what they're for and they're put in front of you and you subscribe to them, that's fine. But I do believe that there is a lot of pleasure in our spirituality and there's something to be said for allowing people to have that space to explore that without immediately saying, you know, like, no, that's not what that's about. Actually, it's, and that's the way that we were sort of raised is that they're there is no time to worry about the fun and the pleasure. This is about not going to hell. That's kind of like mm-hmm. every, you know, everything. So just for context, I was raised Catholic and then converted to my uh, own form of going to like a non-denomination Christian church. And then um, I never necessarily denounced any of that. And I just continued to be me and taking those tenants that work and that seem like they were more of the original plan and not sort of like the colonized version of those teachings. And then there is one book that stands out. I read it when I was 16 years old. It was a Chris- Christian book for, I, I think it maybe was for teenagers, but it said, uh, the title of it is You're Born an Original, Don't Die a Copy. The interesting thing is that I think that that book was actually supposed to be helping us be a copy. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it was, it was a little trick. It was a little trickery because it's like, 
oh, read this and you're going to learn how to, you know, be an individual within the eyes of the Lord. And but really it was telling you, like, all you got to do is follow, follow this. Right. And you'll be a good individual. I don't remember anything in the inside of the book, but the title stuck with me forever. I was like, I don't want to die a copy. I got to be original. And yeah, it landed me in porn. Looky there. <laughs> nice. And so I, go ahead, Kate. It's interesting going back to what you were saying about combining sex with spirituality. I kind of feel like when you think about kink, like kink has all these different divisions, right? Like there's all these different types of divisions. I kind of feel like there could be something similar under the label of God sex. And like yeah. Tantra would just be one type of God sex. And, you know, it would it would have derivations based on culture and gender and all of these things, you know, and I started thinking about that when I realized that you could combine like pranayama and holotropic breathwork with sex and literally see spiritual visions and rolling orgasms simultaneously. And I'm like, Tantra doesn't talk about that specifically, as far <laughs> as I know, like this is a new thing, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think I think you're right that that is an important piece. Yeah. And if we could just, I mean, if we could just like sort of just like take a moment to be open to how you are already expressing sexually, I think that most people will see that whether it's the order, the hierarchy that they enjoy about it, or, you know, like the order when you go to church and you do this order and you leave and you feel refreshed, like for many of us in BDSM, it is like, you know, there's a particular order that we enjoy and Oh, yeah. just gave me an idea for a scene. Hey. Hold on. Ah, write that down. Get that notebook. Get that notebook. <laughs> I'll put everything in. Nice, nice. You know, kind of rounding out our conversation, Kate, when you said, you know, you brought up the synchronicity. And I'm like, oh, that's what those are the explosions that have been happening in my brain, this whole conversation. Like I didn't have a label for them. And some of the things that you both brought up today for me really hit. And I would like to encourage those who are listening along to like, okay, what hit for you? What are some of those things that have maybe been coming up and been coming up and then listening to you both talk about it, like something solidified? Like for me, I've been really thinking about sex and spirituality and kink and like that's been on my mind. So, ooh, your Jackie Robinson quote, just whoo, I'm going to chew on that for a long time after we we get off this call. <laughs> and, and another thing that had come up a lot in your conversations was the concept of, you know, when we are dehumanized and we are reduced down to just very like binary thinking, you're either this or you're that. And, and all of the depth and the nuance is taken away from us. And I, I've been reflecting on that and how that relates to decolonization of sex and just so many other things. And that, you know, that really is, as you said, reducing us to that leads to oppression, not just in our interpersonal relationships, but systemic oppression. It is like the crux of all the things. So that's what hit for me. Listeners, think about what hit for you and keep chewing on it. And not just for this episode, but for all of season two, because this concludes season two of Open Deeply, where we dove into exploring love in all of its forms. What's coming for season three? We got to hold something back for a spoiler. So, you know. Uh, (laughs) So chew on everything that we've talked about and join us again as we once again dare to open deeply and reveal 
what season three will be looking at. Thank you both. This was a great conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at Kate Lurie or at Sunny Megatron. Check back bi-weekly for new episodes. And until next time, remember, your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply. Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Burrell.